studying design was great for me because it allowed me to work on my studio work in conjunction with what I was learning about design. And I think that it really influenced what you know I was doing and even probably doing now, especially the way I learned about color and how color was used in design and in branding, how it affects us from a psychological level, because I spent a lot of time thinking about those things and how color affects us. And so, you know, I think that that probably connected to my uh, painting practice when I'm looking at color. The other thing is that I spent a lot of time thinking about composition, because when you're looking at a design, especially if you're working on something more commercial, of course, everything kind of has its place. You kind of find the way these things go together that are visually pleasing. You find a way to connect them, so to speak. And, you know, just like painting, that kind of developed my eyes and pushed me to have an attention to detail. So when working in the studio, I, I think that those early kind of experiences in design school just really connected to what I was doing. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 264th episode, I'm excited to be joined by Danny Joe Rose III, who I spoke with from Oklahoma City, where he currently lives and works. He has a background in design, as you just heard, and that heavily influences paintings, which are packed full of amazing color combinations, interesting shapes and forms. And we talk all about how those compositions come together, as well as variety of different approaches, materials, how all of those paintings slowly developed and kind of feed each other, especially through the investigation of imaginary landscapes and interesting color and all sorts of great stuff. So again, stay tuned for that interview coming up. Definitely give his work a look on Studio Break. And of course, you'll find a link there for DannyRoseStudio.com where there's tons more paintings. And of course, be sure to follow him on Instagram at Danny Rose Studio. Studio Break is a podcast and blog site. We feature a variety of different artists. They come on, they talk all about their studio practice, and you can check out many more by visiting studiobreak.com. Each of those posts there have slideshows of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and of course, you can listen to those interviews and archived interviews right there on studiobreak.com. But the easiest way to do it is just subscribe to the podcast, and that way you've always got something to listen to in the studio. If you want to follow Studio Break, you can find us in a number of formats. You can like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter, at Studio Break. And, of course, be sure to follow and say hello on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. All right, quick announcements are out of the way. Let's get to this awesome interview with Danny Joe Rose III. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Danny Joe Rose the Third. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, we've been kind of emailing you and kind of in preparation for this, all about color and you know talking about your work. So it'll be nice to kind of break that down and and certainly learn a lot about you. So so thanks so much for doing this. Oh yeah, thank you again for having me. I'm really excited to, to chat with you today. I love starting out at the beginning. So maybe talk a little bit about where you're from and and you know your young. I guess, uh, artistic endeavors as, uh, maybe somebody that can't, can't ride the big rides yet. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I was born in Charleston, South Carolina, but I was only there for a couple of years. My family relocated to a small town in Oklahoma, Altus, Oklahoma. 
And uh, that's where my mother's family was from. She got sick when I was little and uh, wanted to be closer to her family as she was getting better. You know, that allowed my sisters and I to be closer to our grandparents as well. But, you know, it's for the most part, pretty uh, typical small American town. A lot of agriculture, uh, farmland, you know, cotton fields, corn fields, the works. And, you know, growing up out there, it, it allowed me a lot of freedom to to explore and, you know, spend time alone outside playing. Actually, the, the house I grew up in or I, the house I have the earliest memories from was really cool because if you stepped outside and you looked to your left, you saw houses and, you know, buildings and stores and everything that the town had. But if you look to your right, it was nothing but farmland. Mm-hmm. There was such a visual contrast between the town and the open plains. You know, I spent a lot of time out in the fields running around with my sisters and my cousins, and we would play hide and seek in the cornfields and get lost and, you know, doing, you know, everything that, that, that kids do. And additionally, we also lived about 30 minutes from a small set of mountains called the Quartz Mountains, which um, I think some people would probably argue with me about <laughs> if they're actually mountains or hills. But uh, sure. I, I think even as a kid, they were mountains. And today, I think they're mountains. Uh, <laughs> you know, every other weekend, if the weather was nice, my parents would take us out there and kind of let us loose. And it was like our playground. And you know, I have a lot of memories of climbing those rocks and collecting rocks, which I still do. And I think that that, you know, definitely came from that period. And also looking at, you know, textures and colors and all of these things that, you know, looking back now, possibly have a connection to my work. Um, but as a kid, of course, you know, I'm not thinking that way. I'm just having a good time getting sure, dirty. Sure. Uh, <laughs> well, and that was something that I was talking to a little bit about too, you know, kind of evident in the work is obviously shape and mm-hmm. color. And so, you know, those are things that I definitely associate with places, uh, especially if you're looking up at big skies or, you know, the shapes that you might kind of divide up into, you know, what be, what would be mountains and then what would be sky or water or something like that, you know? Oh, definitely. Those types of shapes and that type of uh, imagery just runs through me, you know, especially growing up like that and and, in such a, you know, small place with so much land around you, you know, whether I probably became an artist or not, I think that I would probably still have a connection to the landscape because of those formative experiences. But did you have a lot of, you know, interest in the arts when you were kind of growing up? Was that something that was you spent all your time kind of drawing or painting or, or doing stuff like that? I, from a very early age, had an interest in drawing um, specifically. I doodled all the time, so much so that when I was in elementary school, I used to get scolded for <laughs> doing that, which I think a lot of kids do. Sure. But my my parents, they didn't scold me for that. I think they saw that it was something that made me happy and and you know, I enjoyed. And so, yeah, I I was always drawing as a kid, but it wasn't until probably middle school, end of middle school, that my parents, I think, really saw that this was something that I probably was going to do for a long time. And they uh, started buying me sketchbooks and it was kind of off to the races Mm -hmm. (laughs) after that point, because I, 
I would fill a sketchbook, you know, just pretty quickly. So yeah, I think from an early age, I, I was very interested in, in mark making and, and, and making images. And was that something that was kind of like followed up with, you know, your kind of traditional art classes, kind of K through 12 kind of thing and, you know, kind of getting into that? Or I'm always curious too, like if there's other things that artists do, I mean, you know, I think I played baseball for like two years because I couldn't even hit a baseball. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's just always th- interesting to think about those other influences. So was that something where, where you were kind of just kind of, you know, singularly focused on the arts or did you kind of have other things that you're interested in too? Arts was a big part of it. And, you know, especially in high school, but I, I played sports as well. I ran track and I still, to this day, I run almost every other morning. It's something that you know, really calms me. And I uh, have the chance to get a lot of my thoughts out when I'm running. And so I still run today. Uh, I also wrestled for several years. Mm -hmm. You know, all of that was fine. But art was really the thing that I connected with the most. And in high school, I uh, had two great mentors, uh, Bobby Avila and uh, Ann Roberts, who really encouraged me to move past just working on my, you know, pencil drawings or my sketches and to start exploring color. Because at this point, other than probably colored pencil, Mm -hmm. I hadn't really, you know, worked with color. And so I started to paint in high school under the direction of those two teachers. And I think I immediately connected with painting. It felt right, you know, like a puzzle. I just really loved working with color when I started exploring painting, that also kind of lit this fuse of what can I do with this? And can I do this, you know, in my future? And what did you come up with? (laughs) (laughs) It's usually one that that keeps people scratching their heads and just kind of going like, how uh how do you get paid for this? Uh, But was there like encouragement to like, you know, teach or go into graphic arts or anything like that? You know, at first I thought I wanted to go to college for studio art And so I was applying, you know, with that in mind. And after some time and talking with my parents and my teachers, I kind of landed on this idea that I loved my my studio practice and everything I was doing back then. But I also wanted to find something that maybe after graduation could set me up for, you know, some type of work in, 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 um, in the arts, at least, or something creative. And so I landed on graphic design and... That's actually what I ended up going to school for was, you know, a a degree in in design. Interesting. Interesting. And so how did you decide, you know, where you're going to go? At first, I I thought, oh, I'll stick around, you know, stick around close to home. But at the same time, there was this part of me that had never left this, you know, really small town. And I kind of thought, if I don't do this, what if I don't ever do it? And so I... uh, decided to go to, to Texas. And I applied to the Art Institute out in Dallas mm-hmm. and got accepted and thought, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to do it and packed my things. And uh, at graduation, I was out the door. <laughs> <laughs> so was that like obviously a pretty different experience, I'm assuming? I know that's pretty, pretty standard. So I mean, obviously, Dallas has got a much grander uh, sense of scale, you know, in terms of uh, dense cities. So it, it does. And it was quite a shock. I I mean, before that point, I had only, you know, traveled with my family, really. And so going to a big city by myself was terrifying and Mm -hmm. exciting all at once. 
you know, there was definitely some homesickness in the beginning. But once I started to connect to the city and make friends and really seeing what art was happening in, in, in Texas and Dallas, uh, I began to see how I could could connect to, to this place, you know, and then I just fell in love with it. And I actually stayed in Dallas for 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Maybe tell us a little bit about that experience in terms of studying as a, as a designer, where you kind of invested in, you know, learning a lot of new techniques. And, and certainly there's so many digital tools that have continually evolved over the last, you know, couple of decades, really. Studying design was great for me because it allowed me to work on my studio work in conjunction with what I was learning about design. And I think that it really influenced what, you know, I was doing and even probably doing now, especially the way I learned about color and how color was used in design and in branding, how it affects us from a psychological level, because I spent a lot of time thinking about those things and how color affects us. And so, you know, I think that that probably connected to my uh, painting practice when I'm looking at color. The other thing is that I spent a lot of time thinking about composition Mm -hmm. because when you're looking at a design, especially if you're working on something more commercial, of course, everything kind of has its place. You kind of find the way these things go together that are visually pleasing. You find a way to connect them, so to speak. And, you know, just like painting, that kind of developed my eye, so to speak, and pushed me to have an attention to detail. So when working in the studio, I I think that those early kind of experiences in design school just really connected to what I was doing. And with that, I also I did take even though it was a design school, I did take life drawing, I took illustration courses, a couple of 3D courses. And so I was still getting some of what a studio major was getting, but with a focus on, you know, design. Yeah. And that totally makes sense in the way that it would kind of influence your your paintings or your studio work that you're doing on the side because as you kind of stated I mean so much of it is about you know thinking about placement or composition or you know if you're going to repeat shapes or you know use a certain color scheme and I would imagine that all just kind of really kind of helped you know push that side of things definitely especially with uh you said color schemes one of the classes I had it was a digital like editorial course And in that class, that teacher was really, really interested in color combinations and, you know, how we were obviously affected by them. And so at first, when I first started dealing with color in that way, I was really scared of it. And even in my designs, I I was really timid and I didn't use a lot of bright color, fairly neutral or black and white. And that teacher really pushed, you know, myself and, and my classmates to just kind of get a little bit wild with color. And she would always say, you know, like get louder and then pull it back, Mm -hmm. go as far as you can and then take away. That's kind of stuck with me too. in the way I work is that sometimes when I'm painting, I will do the thing I know I'm probably not going to like Mm -hmm. in an effort to, you know, in an effort to go back and and change it. It it almost uh, forces me to, to make a change, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would imagine, too, there's a little bit different approaches in terms of process, you know, when you're making something physical versus, you know, using like a a stylus or or I guess for older people like a mouse, um, (laughs) you know, in terms of in terms of like making shapes and and things like that. But obviously the the way that color even kind of is projected versus something that's going to be physical, you know, is, is something that has different qualities. And I would imagine that you're kind of then doing both of those things at the same time? Or was it strictly like, you know, working digital? It was a little bit of both. Thankfully, I had teachers who 
were really interested in kind of the tradition of, you know, hand-drawn work and hand-drawn designs. And I also had educators who were interested in purely digital. And so I got the, you know, I think the best of both. And then, you know, on my own at home, I was still painting. Even though I, I was focusing on design and, and on my, in my studies at home, I was working with color and I was working with acrylic and, you know, oil pastel and spray paint and, and anything I could get my hands on. And so I think that all of those things kind of prepared me to have a, an understanding of color that became very personal over time. To kind of put us in that, that mindset of somebody that's studying design, you know, what types of things did you wrap that experience with? Did you have to like make a, a design portfolio? Did you have an exhibition of work? Uh, we had a little bit of both. So in your last year, you basically are teamed up with one professor who becomes your guide, so to speak. And they basically help see you through the rest of the year. And you have a very lengthy list of things that you need to complete before graduation. You have to create, you know, a complete branded body of work that would be like a brochure and business cards and posters and postcards, etc. You have to create a website and a few uh, books even. And so you do all of those things and then you you walk in terrified to this room because you're like, if I don't do well, then I'm not going to graduate. And uh, you're, you know, you're really scared. It's kind of like a little bit like an expo, so to speak, where you have an area. Each student has an area where you get to display and hang things on the wall and you have a table. It's a little bit like um, an exhibit. And then, of course, all of your professors from throughout the years come and talk to you and give you feedback and leave notes on your work. You know, once it starts, it's not as scary. I actually really enjoyed it because I had an opportunity to engage with my uh, teachers in a different way now that I was like on the way out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure, sure. So, well, and what was the plan on the way out? Were you thinking I'm going to work in a, you know, design job or did you have anything specific in mind that you were looking at to try to go for? I thought I was going to go be, you know, uh, an agency designer because a lot of my professors worked in agencies and they really loved it. And so I kind of thought like, that's what I want to model myself after. And, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my, my painting practice yet, but I knew that that was going to play a part somehow, you know, I was going to keep doing that. So graduation happens. And then I landed a job right after I graduated at an agency and I lasted one month at that (laughs) agency (laughs) because I quickly realized that that wasn't the thing that made me happy. Mm-hmm. It just didn't allow me to express myself creatively in the ways that I wanted to. It was a great place. I learned a lot in a month and I'm happy for that experience, you know, but I needed to have that so that I knew what I wanted to do. And so I kind of went back and, and thought about it. And a friend of mine was like, Hey, have you thought about freelancing and just kind of, you know, building up clients and I, you know, didn't even know about that life, but I uh, started looking into it. I found a couple of small projects, which over time grew and those couple of clients kept me. And over the years, I just kept adding to, you know, that type of work. And I, so basically I freelanced for almost a decade, you know, and, and that's kind of my design story, if you will. Yeah. Well, you got to be your own boss, right? I mean, that's yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of the big pull for that, or at least obviously you get to collaborate on, you know, something that you're uh, really passionate about and trying to make it interesting. So that seems, you know, pretty exciting. Were you able to kind of like pursue art making, you know, at that same time, something that was a little bit removed from the the design aspect of things? I was. Everything was, was 
honestly happening parallel to one another, both kind of ending up in different places <laughs> over time. So I was working as a freelancer and all of that was happening and I was happy there. And I was painting and drawing. And at the same time, I had slowly started to find other artists that I was connecting with and then galleries in, in town, mostly Dallas. And right before graduation, I got accepted into a couple group shows, small group shows. And that experience also just reminded me of the joy of sharing work with others. Having this opportunity to share the thing that brings me so much joy could also by extension bring someone else joy. And I found that really inspiring. And so, yeah, I just kept working, kept painting and, you know, time went on. And I feel like, you know, while I was there, my painting practice and my design practice really lived separately, but, you know, together at the same time. You know, what kind of influences, you know, as somebody that's kind of drawn to both design and fine art, you know, what kind of influences kind of helped steer you as well? I'm, I'm curious. A variety of things. In terms of like my studio practice or how it relates to design, I think the thing that kept me interested in design was finding ways to apply that idea to art. And what that led me to do was think about ways to work with artists or represent artists visually. And so I started doing artist catalogs, you know, artist branding, their business cards, websites, et cetera. And that really allowed me to continue working in design, but also to learn about art. And in, in many ways, it was kind of like doing research when I would work on a design project for a client, um, especially if they were in the arts in some way, if they were, you know, a nonprofit working in the arts or if they were a gallery or an artist, that really had a big influence on me. And then at the same time, in terms of like personal soul searching and looking at others work. I've, I've often connected with artists who use a great deal of color, mm -hmm. you know, obviously with, with the way that I work, but uh, artists like Arshal Gorky, Forrest Bess, Helen Frankenthaler, Howard Hodgkin, most of these artists uh, work with color in a very kind of personal and poetic way, in a sense, the way they connect to color. Yeah, and that seems like something that's certainly connected to, you know, all the work that, that is representative on uh, DannyRoseStudio.com. There you go for a nice uh, reminder for <laughs> folks to check that out. I mean, there's tons and tons of work up there. You know, one of the things that we were talking about earlier, too, as you kind of go back through archives of work, is that there's a number of kind of like more sculptural kind of works that starts out that timeline and, and a number of works where you're, I guess, utilizing clay forms and, and more sculptural elements. So... Was that something that you kind of slowly kind of, you know, started exploring other materials as you were kind of indicating as you're painting and then also kind of doing these other uh, freelance jobs and whatnot? Well, started out mostly painting once I made the jump from working just, you know, on, on sketches and whatnot. And when I made that jump to painting, I stuck with painting for a really long time, all through college. And then, you know, after college, I still mostly painted. And then something kind of crazy happened. I uh, decided I wanted to teach abroad. And a friend of mine was teaching in Indonesia at the time. And it just so happened that her contract had ended. And she was like, hey, you mentioned to me that you wanted to teach. And I, I got a job for you if you want to apply. And I was like, okay, this is, this is the universe speaking to me. I put it out there. So <laughs> I, I, yeah, ended up getting that job. And it was a, a very quick turnaround <laughs> because I applied got hired. And then within like two months, I was uh, on a plane. And so, you know, I sold all my stuff, 
said my goodbyes and you know I was gone. But when I got got to Indonesia, things changed really quickly in my practice. I'm still trying to figure out why that is, but I think a lot of it has to do with what I was seeing while I was over there. Mm-hmm. There's a great deal of color in Indonesia, especially with the way businesses are put together. Like a lot of the buildings are painted in really bright pinks or greens and blues. You know, you're also surrounded by you know trees and you're bordered by you know an ocean, and so like there's just a lot of color over there. And so that's when I started to explore more 3D work, sculptural work. And I was still painting, but I found myself really interested in clay. And and that happened because I was, um, from teaching, I was trying to teach some clay um, stuff to my students, and I didn't know a lot about it. And so it was an effort to do some research, but what ended up happening is I kind of fell in love with it too. So yeah, I experimented with it for a little while and developed a couple of small series using uh, clay and poster paint and, you know, acrylic. Yeah, right on. And again, it, it seems, like I said, very apparent still, even if there are different materials that those basics of, you know, color, shape, form, all of those things are inherent in the work. And I guess, you know, to kind of think about it, obviously, you know, we just kind of mentioned in terms of your website, there's there's tons of different work there. You know, one of the things that I kind of noticed in some of the, the paintings that kind of came a little bit after that, maybe like around the 15s or so, was... You know, there's a little bit more variation in terms of the way that you might use gradients or or textures and that slowly over time, it seems like there's a real crispness to everything. So I don't know, is that something that you kind of were conscious of or or thinking about in terms of, you know, maybe just exploring different ways of of applying paint and and thinking about it? Or am I misreading something there? (laughs) Uh, Well, I I don't think that, you know, I I consciously thought about it, but I definitely, you know, I was aware of the way I was working with paint and form and shape. And a lot of that work from that period was a lot grittier and rougher, especially with uh, the surface, you know, that there was a lot of texture. And I often would leave a lot of underpainting, you know, showing through where there was, a, you know, a transparency to layers, so to speak. And I think that part of that could have been related to the amount of changes that I, I was experiencing at the time from moving from America to Indonesia and then after a year there coming back because that work from you know the 2015s around there was right when I returned mm-hmm. and so I think that a lot of that work probably you know captured some of that feeling of being unsettled and, and kind of not knowing what I was going to do next mm-hmm. and over time I think that uh, there was a, a good you know chunk of time where I was trying to and there was a little bit of a consciousness behind this, but I was trying to be flat as I could, or I wanted the surface to be, you know, I hate saying perfect, but you know, I wanted it, I wanted it to have a flatness, you know, that was a goal for a little bit. Kind of going back into the archives, there's a painting from 2015 called Blue Desert. And of course, I immediately start thinking of landscape and, you know, you're kind of returning to this, this land. And, and I don't know, is that something that kind of comes into the work, different landscapes or how do you how do you process or start working through something or, or decide how you're going to come up with a composition? The idea of landscape has been in my work or, you know, nature in some way, some connection to nature. And especially with Blue Desert, you know, that painting, uh, looking back on that one, the title, I think, reflected a little bit of the sadness that I was experiencing having just come home and feeling like I was in this you know, just this wild place where I was so free to just experience and get lost. And then I come back to come back home and I just felt like something had left me. 
And so Blue Desert, the title itself really reflects on that feeling of feeling blue and almost feeling like you're in this, you know, vast emptiness. Mm-hmm. But from a visual standpoint, it is very much a landscape because of, I think, the way I was raised and what I was experiencing as a kid. I think that that still connects to what I look at today. You know, I, I'm just really fascinated by place and by our connection to place, our memory to place and how, you know, we are affected by it. And, and that's kind of where the work comes from today is uh, it's connected to the land, but mostly it's coming from um, a more intuitive place, um, you know, these days. And often uh, a lot of these paintings are kind of imagined places. Maybe they don't exist, you know, physically, but they come from somewhere else. They're kind of created. It's interesting, too, because I think about the way that working on a illustrator file or something like that is is very slick and precise and then again some of the paintings that are you know from this time this one uh, nothing but the sunset there's all of this kind of like texture and kind of brushy quality and transparency and you know again they seem so painterly in comparison to maybe some of the most current work and so you know that's something that's really interesting to me too I mean are you approaching these then you know very intuitively in terms of just adding things and you know sitting with them working on a couple at a time and then just kind of jumping around between them pretty close I mean uh, it is a very intuitive process and it is now but especially with this older work these would take you know several months to develop which is why they have so much texture and they have that painterly quality you know I, I give them time to breathe and then I come back to them and I see what they need and sometimes I just decide to to make a, a change just because I, I I feel like I you know I want to I want to change it I want to you know make something happen and then with the work today it's still very intuitive you know I don't plan too much uh, I do uh, you know sketch occasionally I love to sketch but it's it's very rare that I copy from sketch to painting I still do enjoy a great uh, deal of into you know intuitive painting and even though the the work you know today is is you know a little cleaner and the edges are a little cleaner, something I have found happening in this most recent body of work I completed called Other Places, I'm kind of looking back at some of the things I learned from this older work mm-hmm. and finding ways to apply it to the work today. You know, and and a lot of that happens to to be I love texture and underpainting and uh, things showing through, kind of you know these history marks, if you will. Yeah, and another thing that's really interesting by comparison is that it seems like some of the older work, you know, maybe there's specific color palettes or, you know, something where you kind of explore, I don't want to say necessarily similar themes, but for whatever reason, it seems like there's just more variety in terms of the color combinations and approaches maybe now necessarily than maybe something that's a bit older. But again, I'm seeing lots of pinks, lots of cyan colors and and violets and things like that, whereas now it just seems like there's, you know, like so many different ways of creating compositions with with a variety if that makes sense uh it does and that i think that part of it is intentional today approaching it from a way you know i'm wanting to have as many new experiences as i can when i'm in the studio and that was an active decision when working on this this latest body of work was that one not every piece needed to look the same i wanted there to be some you know visual contrast and even sometimes some contradictions uh visually you know i i i also wanted to experiment with a variety of colors because, you know, like you noticed, some of this older work, I did work 
sometimes with the same sets of colors. I, I've always loved blue, but there was a time when blue was a main, you know, color in my work. And I think that from working like that for so long is probably why I'm working this way today, where I'm just trying to have, you know, new experience after new experience and even using colors that I typically wouldn't use. So if I'm out trying to find, you know, tube color versus I'm mixing something, I'm, I'm going to try to make something that maybe I wouldn't immediately pick something that, you know, I maybe have to work to like. And sometimes that ends up getting covered, you know, and you don't, you know, and it doesn't appear in a painting. And other times I decide I'm going to leave it so that I, I kind of push or challenge myself to maybe, you know, get to know a color or evolve with a color. Again, kind of looking back, you know, there's also kind of like a lot of different approaches to materials because there's somewhere there's a lot of collage elements and then it might kind of shift back towards painting. Is this something that you kind of like, you know, get on a roll with painting and then maybe you just want to you know, shake something up or is it something where literally you'll have a couple of different bodies of work, you know, going and then it just maybe takes however long to, to resolve them? A little bit of both. I mean, collage has been a common thread in my work since college. I've always enjoyed working with cutting up materials and, and arranging them. Uh, I've just always found it to be a really relaxing practice. So it, it finds its way into my work quite a bit. But typically what happens is that you know, it takes me anywhere from seven months to a year to work on a, on a body of work or a series. And by the time I, I get done with that, I honestly usually need a little bit of a break no matter what I'm working on. So if I'm working on a series of paintings, I might take a break and uh, work on a body of collages, you know, just because it's a different practice. It's a different structure. And the same with if I'm, you know, working on collages, I might switch over. I also enjoy digital work too. So there are times that I work and make digital collages. And so really it, it just happens, you know, to, to happen with, with what I'm needing at the time. You know, whatever I'm needing is usually what comes out. And then the other thing, I, I love experimentation. I think that being in the studio and experimenting with different approaches has helped me find new ways of working. And, you know, that's kind of why I, I also switch it up a lot is because I, I, I want to have those those experiences. I want to try something new, you know, but at the end of the day, I still I will say my my love is painting. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> but uh, I also have other you know things that uh, I enjoy doing. Well, and the scale is something that's really interesting to me, too, because obviously, you know, there's some there's some larger paintings or midsize paintings, but then there's a whole bunch of them that might be you know, anywhere up from three to four inches. I guess, is that something that allows you to kind of work through a lot of different ideas at the same time and, and kind of develop those, you know, kind of all as a set, essentially? I've always enjoyed uh, smaller work. I, I don't know why I've just, there's like this intimacy that's had with this small object. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree that by working with smaller forms and sizes, it does allow me to work on a, on, a, on a great deal of things at once. And there is that benefit. I also like looking at things like that. So I can put a lot of things on the wall that are in process and they all uh, respond to each other or, or talk to each other in different ways. But, you know, I think what it comes down to is that like, especially when I'm painting a size that I return to quite a bit is eight by 10. I just love mm-hmm. that size. There's something about it. Uh, I also love a good five by seven. <laughs> and so I... You know, it's like, I guess the the smaller sizes are more of a challenge for me. Maybe that's what it is. Because when I work really large, I feel like I have, you know, more space to explore. But when I'm working smaller, I really have to think about how I'm going to use what little space I have. So it almost pushes me to push 
further than I, I maybe would with a larger piece. I still like to paint large and do occasionally. Yeah, I think that returning to these more intimate sizes re are really where I'm happiest. You know, just like any artist, you have like ebbs and flows in your work and, you know, things shift. You know, one thing that's really interesting to me is this series of entitled paintings from uh, 2019, where, again, instead of it kind of having all these really bold kind of colors, there's some that are really muted out and, you know, very, very subtle. And I would just imagine maybe that, you know, again, you kind of like run out of room in one one direction and then you kind of, you know, turn and, and kind of head down a new direction. That's a really good perspective um, on that because with that series, I think you're referring to like the, the square, maybe like four by four pieces. That was an opportunity to experiment with, with you know, lots of different colors. But also at that time, I uh, or before that, I wasn't working with too many neutrals, you know, in most of my painted work. And so this gave me an opportunity to experiment with neutrals and some of the saturated colors, the brighter colors, and find a way to, you know, kind of form this family of forms, uh, if you will. Yeah. And it just keeps evolving and evolving. You know, you can see that present in certainly the most current paintings. It totally makes sense to kind of, you know, have a, have a series that, again, might be really more neutral based. And then, you know, like you were kind of talking about your most current series, the other places, you know, it might kind of combine all sorts of different ideas from this because again we've got certainly some intense colors but then a lot of these funky kind of neutral colors and you know there's always these kind of different kind of configurations and I guess you know to kind of think more specifically about these pieces are these all ones again like the most current series that you're you know just kind of coming up with and and working intuitively this series you know kind of came about during uh the beginning of the pandemic and uh, I was looking for you know, something new to work on. And I had a great deal of cardboard, my studio, which I think a lot of us probably do. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I wanted to use it for something. And in the past, I would typically uh, use it for collage or something like that. But I thought, hey, I'm going to find a size and I'm going to see what happens. So I landed on five by seven and I cut like 40 plus, you know, pieces out of, of this cardboard and hung, hung them up on the wall like a grid. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to each day I come in here, I'm going to just, you know, work on something. And so I really didn't have a plan for them. I just wanted to see what would happen. Like, you know, it was kind of a, an experiment, really. And over time, they started to grow and I started to kind of find these these new places. And that's kind of where the title came from. Other places is that a lot of the work before this the titles and the references that were happening in that work were often from places I had actually been like physical travel, but because of the pandemic, you know, I wasn't able to do that. Like I, like I, like I typically would and, and traveling has played such a big part in my work and inspiring my work. And so I think during that time when we were in lockdown, it, it kind of forced me to look inward and I started to find these more imaginary places. They, they became a lot more abstract, so to speak. But all the while, they still represented everything I loved about landscape, you know, that entire you know, way through that work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because they start kind of having the suggestion of, of a place. And then, you know, as you're telling us, it's something that is kind of idealized or imagined, you know. So there's this one, for example, called Sky Tower that you know, certainly reminds me or it makes me think of like water tower forms or, mm. you know, maybe something that might be up in, you know, that I have to look up in my, my field of vision to see. And again, this is a nice example of one where we've got like this really kind of intense orange, but it's a little bit duller, but then it's offset against this violet background. And, 
you know, there's all these kind of neutral aspects of it. Is that something where you're kind of allowing a little bit of openness then in terms of somebody to be able to kind of see those things? Is that, is that an okay reading, I guess, is a better way of saying it? <laughs> I want that, you know, I, I want a viewer to, to interpret what I'm making with what they're thinking or what they see. And so for me, of course, this is a sky tower or, you know, this is maybe some type of a, a place that I, I create or I envision, but I love hearing, you know, viewers feedback or, or hearing what it makes them feel, especially when given the opportunity to be at an opening or, or in a public space to hear how people react to the work, because, you know, it, I get such varied responses. Um, but one that seems to be a common thread is that even though these are often a little more on the abstract spectrum, I think viewers still seem to connect with them as something from nature or something from the, the landscape, especially with you reading Sky Tower. That's exactly what that that is to me, is that you're kind of looking up or above and there's no land, you know, physical landscape below you. It's higher up. Mm-hmm. You know, hearing you read that is is great because that one is definitely, you know, close to exactly what I, I had envisioned for it. You know, it kind of with each one depends on where it goes and, you know, what what emerges from the time spent painting it. Well, and there's also this obvious kind of like figure ground relationship where you've got something that almost acts like an object, you know, sitting with it with a background. And again, maybe a good example, this one saucer in the parentheses, low hum. I mean, again, I love those those two. It looks like a greenish and then like kind of like a violety kind of color. That's, that's a little bit cool. But again, they almost seem like they have the same almost value. So they kind of really kind of sit back and they, but they shift in subtle ways. And then, you know, the, the colors over the top of it, the object, and I'm putting that in air quotes, you know, obviously has a little bit more intensity, you know, and a little bit more variety in terms of some of those colors. But again, it's, it's just really interesting to think about those relationships from the way that you utilize color to kind of like pop something out and then have it cool off into the background. I remember working on that one. And at first, those kind of salmon, you know, pinks that are occurring in the the kind of top part of that object, that shape, I was really not too happy with. <laughs> it was a little bit like, you know, I, I just don't know if this is working for me. But then I added that lower color, you know, of that kind of orange burnt kind of amber or umber red, you know, when I added that, it seemed to work. And I think that's, why I continue to work with color so intuitively, because it's not until I try a lot of different things that I find what works for me. And if I didn't work in the way that, that I, you know, I work, it wouldn't happen. So I, I try to keep it as open as possible, you know, when I'm playing with color. But this painting, again, you know, saucer, it's also referencing, I am really interested and have always loved stories about UFOs mm-hmm. and science fiction. And so a part of me um, with this series, I wanted to insert, you know, little notes here and there. So like saucer low hum is kind of referencing maybe that this object could be some type of ship uh, or it could also be a rock, a structure of some form or, you know, is it biological? Is it not? You know, but I also, again, want to keep that open to interpretation. And it makes it a lot more interesting than, you know, like painting 492 or, you know, whatever you're on. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and again, it's really fun, too, because there's a lot of variety to these. There's another one from 2020 called uh, In Between. And they're kind of like these, you know, I don't know how you describe them. I mean, essentially, they look like teeth or nails. But then there's this kind of reversal between the what's wanting to come out and then what's wanting to recede. But then there's also like an implied transparency. And, you know, again, it really kind of makes it interesting because you can come across 
you know, one that's resolved, you know, with these types of shapes and this type of color scheme, and then you jump to something else that just adds a lot of interest and variety. That piece also is one of those ones is kind of combining colors that I typically wouldn't associate as, you know, something that maybe is is pretty or, or, or you know, pleasing to the eye immediately. But uh, again, I wouldn't know until, until, I, until I had those interactions. And in between is uh, another example of how I'm looking back because that area in the top part where the pink is kind of like transparent and you can see some of that green, I'm really thinking about my connection to my older work where I was allowing there to be more, you know, grit or these transparent moments that happen because, you know, there was a time when I was just working with pure flat color and I enjoyed that. But I think today it's not what I need anymore. What I, re- I need at the moment is, um, you know, I want, I want my hand to, uh, you know, kind of appear more in the work, so to speak. You know, maybe one from the current series that you were particularly kind of happy with, um, even though I know, again, it's kind of like, you know, a bad news for artists and that you're like, oh, no, I gotta move, <laughs> o- move away from this one. But is there any that kind of stand out that you're particularly you know, excited about? One that really stands out is a piece titled uh, Shroud or Release. That that was one of the first probably three pieces from this series that I finished. And it seemed to really just capture a lot of the things that I was wanting to say with this body of work. You know, there's this grid that's happening against these, you know, yellow kind of shapes that almost protect the the inner inner shape. But that grid is not perfect. It's wonky. And there is a lot of, you know, kind of like awkwardness happening with those lines. But that's what I was wanting is that, you know, I wanted to kind of leave behind this idea of perfection or the perfect mark or flat surface. You know, I I needed something to challenge everything I had, had taught myself or learned over the years. And so this painting really did that for me. And then it also represented something that was, you know, quite personal. A good friend of mine passed away during, you know, 2020. And this painting I finished, you know, around the time of his death. And so also the title reflecting this shroud was also kind of like this, you know, looking looking at death through, through the lens of art and um, using it as a way to deal with it, um, I guess, to work through it, really. I'm sorry to hear that. And I don't know, at the same time, I know, like we kind of have like different ways of kind of relating things to time. And I, Mm. you know, could easily see how, you know, having a painting, you know, could bring you back to a certain period of time or, or, you know, elicit a certain memory. So, Oh, certainly. Yeah. And I guess, you know, kind of looking at that one too, it makes me think about like some of the things that you've been talking about, because there was a number of series of, you know, paintings that were maybe more uh, clean, precise, you know, just devoid of the hand in some regards, or at least, you know, seeing them digitally they kind of appear like that and so i absolutely agree with you i love that kind of like i think wonkiness is the the way that you kind of describe that (laughs) grid but again it's interesting too because relative to the way that you use values and and shift colors it can be very subtle too i would imagine at a distance where you kind of maybe you know don't notice that that yellow green kind of grid uh, amongst the blue so again that's something that's really fascinating about your your paintings is that there's a lot of times where you kind of start noticing these you know subtle shifts in value or, or color and you start you know seeing how that interacts with the other shapes in, in the paintings yeah and i i think that i i i want to push that a lot and so especially you know with this one where the yellow and the green are on very similar you know levels in that if you didn't look at it for a little bit, yeah, it might get lumped into one thing. But that is definitely something that I think about is like, how far 
can I push these two colors to live next to each other and, you know, maybe allow them to be so close that they they need further reading, almost like Agnes Martin, in a sense, who's one of my, you know, I love Agnes Martin. Yeah, absolutely. She uses a lot of those situations in her work where, you know, you have to get really close and in front of the work to see the differences that are happening. Your eye has to work harder to, to understand what's happening. And it's the same with color, which is why sometimes I, I think lately I've been working with colors that uh, I wouldn't typically work with is because I want my eye to to learn to see color in a new way, I think. Yeah, and I think especially like that kind of push and pull effect of, of things wanting to pop out um, and then things wanting to recede is something that's really interesting because, again, there's there's times where you start reading a painting one way and then as you're looking at it long enough, it starts to kind of reverse or, or look a different way. Which, again, kind of playing with the expectations of somebody that, you know, is going to walk into a space and see them, even just the scale, too. Obviously, you know, people are probably getting you know pretty close to these and kind of discovering new things. Really, I'm really thankful that this series uh, is actually the first body of work, you know, I've created over the course of the pandemic that was actually seen in a physical space and by, you know, by people. So it was a really amazing experience because, you know, spending the last, you know, year or so not getting to do that. I mean, we all experienced that and, you know, we all dealt with it differently. I was just really, really thrilled to get to share this new body of work and to see people interacting with it and to, to hear everyone's response to it. It was just really, really, really awesome. Yeah. And I guess, you know, just as a technical thing, I'm curious about, you know, in terms of the materials, the use of the oil pastel, the acrylic, I mean, is that something where you're starting out obviously with more of like an acrylic base and then, and then working over the top of it? I, I, you know, we'll gesso all my surfaces um, just to get a a clean, you know, surface going. Uh, And then I will pick a color typically at random. Sometimes I might you know, have an idea like, oh, I really want to work with this blue or this yellow. But typically, I just pick a color that's in front of me, and I will get, you know, a solid layer on. And then I I like to hang the work up at that point, even though it's just one color, I like to get things on the wall, and kind of take some time to look at it. Um, And then I kind of ignore them. You know, it's almost like I, I, I want to engage with them, but I also don't want them to think I'm giving them too much attention. So, you know, I kind of I kind of do this dance of, you know, going back and forth. And then at, at one point, I'll, I'll come back and I'll take them off the wall. And typically, um, that's where the oil pastel comes in, is I use oil pastel as a way to create my shapes early on, and things that might suggest shapes in the beginning. And so I will make a mark or a move, and it seems right, and I continue it other times, I might do it three or four times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that only really adds to the texture over time and the the thickness of the surface. And that's what I'm really going for. And so sometimes it's like I'm almost wanting to create marks that I know I'm not going to enjoy, just like the colors, so that I am am, am pushing myself to to find the thing that that makes sense for that piece. And then after I've, you know, oil pastel, and I'm kind of happy with what I'm looking at this, you know, almost like a color sketch, in a sense, then I start to build on top of that. And at that point, it just becomes a process of paint, oil pastel, you know, and kind of I just build it up. And, you know, some pieces get built up more than others, while some early on seem to just work. I'm curious, are there ones that you just kind of abandon? Or is it something where you're more prone to kind of keep working on it and keep grinding it? There are. It's interesting and kind of funny. I have a process or a ritual, I guess, really, it's a ritual. Um, Typically, with the start of each series that I do, 
I tell myself that there's going to be at least two or three of these that are not going to work and I'm going to have to like, you know, give up. Mm -hmm. But I kind of imagine it like a offering in a sense. And so I'll be working and let's say I've, I've got, you know, five paintings started and then the sixth painting is the one that's a dud. So I set that aside. That's okay. And I just keep working. And then at the end of a series, the ones that have not made it, typically I will destroy them or turn them into something else. And in my mind, I, I feel like that's like I'm giving it back. You know, like I'm, I'm giving it back to that kind of invisible creative force that we're engaging with. And sometimes I do that at the beginning, too, almost like a peace offering, you know, to, to that, you know, inner saboteur that we have where, you know, like not letting that inner critic come into the studio. It's almost like, you know, creating some type of boundary with this offering. Like if I give you this, will you give me that? So kind of feel that, you know, I think you mentioned talking about like the universe uh, giving you something back. And I, I always like that kind of phrasing because I, I think that's kind of what artists have to do. They kind of have to put themselves out there in a genuine way, kind of, you know, you know, grind away and grind away. And then surely something will, will come out of that. When you're working in the studio, you're kind of jumping into the void. You're, you're allowing yourself to, you know, engage with something that you can't really, you know, physically touch. I've always kind of viewed art making as a little bit of a spiritual practice also, or at least for me, it can be an incredibly meditative experience, therapeutic. It allows me to engage with myself on a deeper level and, you know, kind of leave my myself for a little bit at times. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot to be to be you know, said with that. Well, again, you were kind of just talking about recently, I know that you had a, a show and you were able to kind of start showing these in person again. Are there other things on the horizon that you're you're working away towards? Well, uh, right now I am in the early stages of working on a new body of work. Um, I have a, an, a solo show planned for 2022, but that's still in the works. So nothing, you know, no hard dates just yet. But I am, you know, I am stretching canvas and starting to think about you know, where I want to go. And other than that, that's, that's really my main focus is just seeing what's going to, you know, come out of this next body of work. And where can everybody see all of this? And we talked about your website earlier, dannyrosestudio.com. That's right. You're pretty regular on Instagram as well. I am. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Danny Rose studio. Right on. Any, any other uh, social media that we haven't touched yet? I don't know. I, I know that TikTok is also very hot. <laughs> so Oh gosh, I I don't even know if I know how to use a TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're you're laughing now, but then in in six months I'll see you there. So, <laughs> well, right on, right on. Well, again, I hope everybody you know goes and follows you. You know, obviously there's all sorts of interesting posts there. And again, I I just really want to you know thank you for taking the time to do this. It's it's been a lot of fun uh, learning more about your painting. So thanks so much. Oh, thank you so much, David. It's been a great time. Thank you. Thanks again to Danny Joe Rosa III. Be sure to follow him on Instagram at Danny Rose Studio, and you can check out, of course, many, many paintings that are available at DannyRoseStudio.com. So go peruse those archives. Tons of great work to check out. If you found your way to the podcast for the first time, just remember Studio Break has a big archive of episodes, great for studio listening, and of course you can check those out on StudioBreak.com. Each of the posts there have slideshows of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and of course you can listen right there on studiobreak.com or just subscribe to the podcast and then that way you've always got something to listen to and keep you thinking while you're in your studio we've had some really good interviews recently with ann bloss 
Joshua J. Johnson, Kendra Balgren, David Casson, Mia Reesberg, Ian Anderson, Maya Stern, and so many more. Again, dive into those archives and check them out. If you enjoy the podcast, you can help us out by leaving us a review, or of course, you can always share it with your friends. Super easy. If you're on Twitter at Studio Break, if you're on Instagram at Studio underscore Break, of course, you can find our Facebook page as well, so you can like and share there. Music for today's podcast is by Golden Shadow, which features myself on guitar, Ben Cohan on drums, and Brett Beery on bass. We recently sat down to discuss this album, I guess, that's slowly coming together as we work to record music over the pandemic, recording remotely. We talk all about this on that episode 261, so if you haven't checked it out, please do. And of course, you can follow at Golden Shadow Band on Instagram. You can also give Ben a follow. That's M. Ben Cohen Studio. Check out some of his paintings there. And of course, if you want to follow Brett Beery, you can find him at B. Beery on Instagram. And there's a link to some of his albums in Instagram in that bio. So check that out on Bandcamp. If you're looking for other music to fill the studio, check out the decals on Bandcamp. Intro song featured Brigham Hagerman on guitar and Clint Parrish on keyboards. So again, that was kind of a jam from the Golden Shadow kind of meetup uh, back in July. So once again, thanks to those folks. If you'd like to see some of my paintings, head on over to davidlinaway.com. There's plenty of work up there, and you can check out all sorts of good stuff. You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, at David Linaway. And, of course, it's always great hearing from listeners. So if you want to say hello on Instagram or wherever, and if you want to say hello to the podcast, once again, that's studio underscore break. Let us know if you enjoyed today's episode or a recent one. It's always great hearing from listeners. And especially I know that there's plenty of artists out there listening and working away in their studios. So I hope your studios are mighty, that things are going well, and we'll talk to you real soon. 